Welcome to the Elijah Fire Podcast, where we jump into issues of today with faith and freedom instead of fear. And now here's your host, Jeff Tharp. Oh, what's going on, everybody? My name is Jeff Tharp. I'm the host of Elijah Fire. Welcome to Elijah Fire, episode number six. And we've got an awesome show today. Um, okay, so there's a couple of things I wanted to address before we bring justice on. Um, there was uh, a couple of months ago, there was um, a viewer, Jerry, that reached out to me, and I believe it was either a member of their congregation or it was a family friend. Um, there was a, a girl, she was, I believe she was 13 at the time. Her name was Carrie, um, and she was driving with her mom, and they got in a really bad Her mom, unfortunately, passed. Um, she didn't make it. Um, and then Carrie was um, really, really, really hurt in the accident. Like she below the knees, her knees were, or her legs were shattered. Um, she was dealing with multiple strokes, um, and she was dealing with cognitive issues as a result, a minimal eyesight. Um, and, uh, and so he reached out to us and said, Hey, can you guys pray? And I just, my heart broke. Like I, I was like, you know, sometimes you see, um, you, you see prayer requests and you're like, you don't feel to pray beyond maybe a couple of days and you see some improvement. But with her specifically, I was just like, I just like the Lord really just spoke to me through this. And he was like, I want you to just intercede on her behalf. Keep praying for her. Um, and guys, like there's been some really cool, like amazing things that have happened. Like they were like, we're not sure she's not going to live. We don't think she's going to live. And so we were praying, praying, praying. And all of a sudden, you know, they pulled the tube out and she was she made it. And then they, Jerry even said that like, even the nurses and doctors were crying. Like it was, it was, it was a miracle. Like she wasn't supposed to live. Um, and now her eyesight is back and it, they said it wasn't going to come back. Um, and so now we're praying for total healing of her legs and we're praying for 100% recovery of her cognitive issues in Jesus name. So I wanted to, I asked him, I said, Hey, can I just, can I just let the people know, like, let's get as many people praying as possible. So her name is Carrie. K-E-R-I. Um, and she turned 14 while she was in the hospital. Um, and just guys, just if you feel led to, like, please just like let's just keep her in prayer and let's just see this through. I'm really stoked to see God do a 100 percent total healing. Like already, what what's happened with her is a miracle. Like God is totally moving in her life. Um, and so uh let's do it, guys. Let's uh let's do it, let's mobilize. Um, okay, so today, first, before I bring my guest on. I guys yesterday I got a little excited and I mispronounced Justice's new last name. It used to be Enlo, obviously. And I said her last name was cool. So on behalf of everybody, I apologize. It's actually Keel. So um without further ado, let's bring in Justice Keel. Hi. Hey. It's okay. You know what? I also thought his last name was cool when I first met him. And mm. it took me a while to learn how to pronounce it. And then it took me mm. even longer to spell it. So I'm finally getting it nice. yeah, <laughs> now yeah. that it's mine. Nice. Very cool. Well, and I know I said this, you know, behind the scenes, but congratulations on getting married. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. When we was... just, just got married August 7th. August and 7th. so this is the beginning of my office. I have like hardly any furniture in here yet, but awesome. that's why there's just like, oh, I'm going the wrong way. A little desk with nothing. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Eventually we're going to have more things in here. Yeah. Yeah. Very cool. Um, Obviously you were Miss Tennessee. Um. Back in 2020, correct? Yeah. And so, uh, yeah. So one of the things that you do now is you're actually an ambassador for Turning Point USA. So I wanted to kind of uh, have you, for those that don't know what Turning Point USA is, 
talk a little bit about that and then how you ended up becoming an ambassador. Yeah, so I was watching Turning Point USA's videos. They're they're a media content creator. And so they're um, kind of bringing together a lot of the, the biggest conservative voices specifically that are millennial and Gen Z um, to help get college campuses activated in the conservative movement. And I was um, feeling pretty isolated while I was in pageantry because it is a very liberal dominated industry and um, it's highly political, but if you are conservative, you better keep your mouth shut kind of thing. Um, and so I just like was living for their videos and um, loved their content. And the year that I was Miss Tennessee USA was a highly political year because we had COVID happening. We had all of the BLM um, riots happening and I think there were some other things that happened. The election. Like, yeah. Oh, the election. <laughs> yes. The election happened while we were at Miss USA. So there was just, it couldn't have been more political if they had tried. And there was a lot of pressure to speak out um, in a certain political direction about what was going on and to really be pushing a certain narrative as far mm -hmm. as COVID, BLM, the election, all of it. Um, mm -hmm. And so that was really difficult for me. And I felt super isolated because I didn't know of other people who are conservative, um, who were title holders that year. And I knew that most of them were not. And so slowly one by one, we all found each other, all of us who are conservative title holders. There's about 14 of us from my year, 2020. And out of 50, I think 51 of us, yeah, because it was District of Columbia as well. Um, and so that was, that was just a breakthrough for us to find each other. And at Miss USA, it was a very, um, oppressive environment as far as if you were conservative you did not feel at home at all mm -hmm. it was a lot of like i need to be quiet mm -hmm. um and i don't think that they intended it to be that way i think that there's like it, it's kind of taken for granted that everyone thinks this way now um but some of us don't and <laughs> so i just remember feeling like this is not what i had hoped for all these years that i've been working towards this goal this is not really the environment that I had wanted. And it's not a typical environment for Miss USA even. Um, and I remember telling one of the other girls, um, I, I really would love to go to Turning Point USA. They're having a, this event. I didn't even know what it was. I just mm -hmm. knew they were having an event where people were gonna be coming together who thought like us. And I was like, I don't even know how we could do this. Like it's in one month and she had a connection. And so she was like, I'm getting us in. Um, and she was Miss Nebraska USA. Okay. And she comes from a very similar spiritual background, spirit-filled pastor's family. So we we hit it off really well immediately. Um, and so she got us, four of us were brave enough to go. And we went together and immediately were unfollowed on social media by the majority of, uh, well, not the majority, but a large portion of our sister state title holders mm. um, who were offended just with us going to the event. And Turning Point um, then reached out to us afterwards and asked if each of us wanted to be ambassadors so that we could continue um, raising awareness for that, especially in the pageant world of what was going on. And of course, now for me, it's really moved beyond the pageant world. And that's something that the Lord used for them, but is not like my everything. Mm -hmm. um, but I'm, I'm really thankful to be connected with Turning Point now. It's opened so many doors for me and I've made incredible friendships and I've even been able to work now with. Um, live action, which they're one of the largest pro-life organizations in the country oh, wow. um, because of my connections that I made with Turning Point. So it's been really amazing. It's interesting. Like we've, we've talked a lot about um, just even in just past episodes with other guests about how sometimes 
the thing that you think is the thing it isn't the thing. And, um, you know, and even sometimes the thing you want ends up not being the thing that, you know, you ultimately need, like in the case with you being in pageantry, um, to go and do something else and the doors that it opened. Totally. Right? And so I think that's really cool. And it's a really good lesson for people to grab a hold of that, um, you know, that it's like God, God wastes nothing. Mm -hmm. And, um, yeah, so he can even use disappointing situations and be like, oh, but look, like, look at this is, this is even totally. better. Right? Yeah. Yeah. So. Um, I think something that's so important with that is, um, even in the Beatitudes and it says it several different places in the old Testament as well, but blessed are the pure of heart for they will see God. And mm -hmm. I think that, um, we have to approach everything that we do with a pure heart and, um, that might be doing a pageant and it might be doing something completely mm -hmm. crazy in a different direction. But having a pure heart and saying, God, this is something I'm doing for you. This is not an ends to a means for me, but this is something I'm doing for you and surrender to you. And he's going to open the doors with yeah. that. And you're going to see him walk in um, because of that open door of you just posturing your heart uh, in a place of purity before him. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I just want to commend you for being, I, I was just looking at your, just your accolades and things that you're doing. Um, and even just the whole, uh, you know, condition that you had endometriosis. Um, and, you know, starting a, I don't know if you still have that nonprofit or the organization that's going on that, that you created that is helping. Sort of. <laughs> yeah, sort of. Yeah. It's in, it's in limbo. Yes. We're, yeah. it's transitioning into being more of just a content source, but yeah. Mm -hmm. But still, um, you know, it's, um, but I just want to commend you like for being you. a, I mean, I was, I'm inspired, like even just in, you know, the interview that you did with Steve, uh, Steve Schultz last year. We're going to put a link in the description to that because there's a lot, a lot more about her story about pageantry and even talking about endometriosis. And, yeah. and I, so I want to encourage you guys click the link in the description to the video from last year. I think you'll get a lot out of it, um, but we're not going to talk about a lot of that today. But I do want to really commend you just like you are an inspiration. And even Thank just you. to like, I know, even just like young women who are, you know, like you're being like, oh my goodness, like I can do that too. Like, that's awesome. So. I hope uh, so. Well that would be amazing. Well Thank yeah. you so much. Yeah. So I would imagine in the pageant, you know, you said that you did, you know, you got unfollowed by a lot of people. Um, and uh, I would imagine you encountered a lot of feminism, you know, as, yes. as I guess, as we know it, when you say out and about feminism, <laughs> you know, like, yeah, there's connotations. Um, yes. You know, and so you had a note in here about wanting to talk about feminism versus biblical womanhood. So uh, just just light it up. Awesome. Yeah. Yeah. And I don't want to pretend to be an expert on biblical womanhood because mm -hmm. like I'm not at all and I'm young and I'm still learning a lot. But um, yeah, definitely in the pageant world, there is a lot of um, and not just in the pageant world. I think this is a reflection of culture right now. Mm -hmm. A lot of talk of this idea of being a boss babe and like. Um, yeah. a girl boss and um various other terms that are similar uh and it's this idea that like we've got to like be in charge and we've got to like be i don't know all these different things in order to be powerful women and um i just started questioning that narrative a few years ago when i started questioning a lot of other things that i had just kind of naturally bought into in culture um and kind of i guess we should give some back context on this but mm -hmm. i um 
I think around college age, which I think is very typical, I started just accepting this this narrative of um, what's known as third wave feminism. Because originally, mm-hmm. feminism was a great, awesome thing yeah. um, that was simply fighting for equality of rights for men and women, which is awesome. We want equal protection under the law for men and women. We want equal rights under the law for men and women. Right. Yeah. Um, and it it morphed around the 1950s and 60s into something that is completely different. And it, and it gave birth to what is now the third wave of feminism, which is completely different than the original intention of feminism. And third wave feminism has really pushed this idea that in order for women to be valuable and be successful in culture, that we need to be like men, um, not just in our value, but also in our function. And that's resulted in the whole abortion issue, like just really exploding. Because in order to be like men, we have to shut off our biological ability to have children, um, just to name one of the many things that we have to do. Um, so I sort of accepted this narrative when I was in college. And when I would read scripture, I was reading that into scripture. I was looking for verses to validate um, my worldview that yeah. women and men are interchangeable and that 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 was the only way in my mind it made sense for women to be as valuable as men. And I didn't realize that you can have a different function, but be just as valuable. It's kind of like brakes and a steering wheel on a car. They're completely different. But if you don't have both of them, uh, you're going to crash. Uh, yeah. <laughs> and so I, um, I started questioning a lot of my worldviews. I don't even really know what started it. Probably just sitting around a lot with endometriosis, having nothing to do mm-hmm. um, while I was in pain. And and just seeking God and being like, slowly allowing him to peel away this pride that had allowed me to have this perspective. Mm-hmm. Um, because it really was, it really was a humility that I needed in order to have kind of a more biblical centered perspective on all of this. And so I adhere to what is original feminism. Uh, feminists today would not consider me a feminist. They would probably say I'm like worshiping the patriarchy or something, but, um, I just, (laughs) I think that the, the bottom line that scripture makes clear to me without getting into like the nitty gritty of theology is that male and female were both made in the image of God, Mm -hmm. um, that we both have an important value and place Mm -hmm. in culture and society in the kingdom of heaven. Um, we saw women functioning as teachers and preachers in the new Testament multiple times. Um, and so we know that women are important. We know that women are valuable to God, but that does not mean we're interchangeable. Um, and I found it really sad that we've let go of this beautiful gift that God has given us of creating life. Um, and we know it's beautiful because when women struggle with infertility, it's one of the most painful things that a woman can face uh, and her partner as well, um, because it's so innate for women that we want to bear fruit and not just spiritually, but also in the natural. Um, and so it, it just makes so much sense to me that that's what the enemy would attack, that he would come after that ability and that beautiful gift of nurturing and creating life and tell us that that's a handicap and tell us that that's mm-hmm. something that is innately wrong with us um, when it's something God created us with. So as mm-hmm. believers, how dare we believe that that's uh, a hiccup or, or something that's going to stop us from success? Yeah. Um Whatever success God has for us is what we want. And whatever success he has for us, our biological ability, something innate to us is not going to be a hindrance to that. Yeah. Yeah. So, and I kind of want to like hover around this for a little bit and kind of open up a conversation um, about, so uh, I'm like totally on board with, I I mean, I'm not a female obviously, but I, maybe I'm a first wave feminist as well, you know, like. (laughs) You know, like you have a lot of guys that say, oh, I'm a feminist and and, and yeah. usually that means something negative. 
And I think that there's an intimidation from a lot of men um, when they hear of a woman even coming across a strong woman, I grew up around strong females. Um, it, I'm not, I've never, I'm not intimidated by it, you know? Um, and I always liken it to if Superman goes to the island of Themyscira where all of the, you know, the Amazonians and Wonder Woman are, it doesn't change the fact that he's Superman, yeah. you know, like just because he's surrounded by all these women, you know what I mean? So um, why do you think there is such a rise in, in this, you know, third wave of feminism? And, and there's all these issues in, in, addressing them at men because look let's be honest there there have been issues of sexism like it's not something like 100%. just because you disagree with something again doesn't mean it's it's wrong or because you're offended by something doesn't mean it's wrong and i think that there are issues that need to be addressed but um the way that they're going about them are wrong yeah so yeah from your perspective i mean why do you why do you think this is such such an issue right now yeah. Well, I think it's clear that feminism arose from a real a real need and a real mm -hmm. issue that existed yeah. in culture. And so a lot of times when people are talking about third wave feminism being an issue, they they almost want to um, harken back to this 1950s housewife. Um, and that was a cultural issue that women were not fulfilled in that. And there's a reason right. because they were not that the, the equal value was not there. There was not opportunity for women to have. Um, a purpose and a destiny and outside of the home, which the home is an incredible, I don't want to belittle the, the, the importance of the home. I think that it's so important, but um, the reason that woman was important was because she served her husband and that was it. Mm -hmm. And of course we know biblically it's beautiful to serve your husband, but it's also beautiful for a husband to serve his wife. You know, yeah. a, a wife submits to her husband as Christ, as, as um, the church to Christ, but, the husband is supposed to love his wife like Christ loved the church, even laying down mm -hmm. his life for her. Yep. That looks kind of like a co-submission in many ways. It's, but it's more gender specific from my perspective. Mm -hmm. And so, um, you know, it's got to be a willing decision on both parts for a husband to lay down his life for his wife and a wife to lay down her life for her husband. Um, and that wasn't happening in the 1950s. Right. And I really think that there's there's two issues here. One is like a very natural issue of something that happened with the sexual revolution that I'll talk about in a second. Mm -hmm. But I think the other is a spiritual issue of identity. And Dude, if you I literally don't, was just thinking that I was like, yeah, his identity. Yeah, 100 um, yeah. percent. Because when you're looking for your identity, uh, I think it's very natural for people to fall back on victimhood as an identity because it's a really easy one to find if oh, yeah. you don't feel like you know who you are. Mm -hmm. And it's very um, it's very like pleasing to yourself because it's it's like a little pity party for yourself in many ways. Yeah. And you can justify why you haven't done certain things in life. You can justify why um, why you're irresponsible, why you're lazy, why you're, or, or maybe even things that aren't necessarily negative choices that you're making, but even, um, real tragedies that have happened to you can justify all of it. Mm -hmm. And I think that when we have our identity as daughters of God, we don't have to look for a victimhood status anymore because we know that we're powerful. We know that we have the power of of Holy Spirit, the same power that raised Christ from the dead living in us, um, empowering us as God's children. And so we don't need this victimhood status. Um, and so I think a huge answer to all of this, of course, is that we understand, uh, we have an understanding of God as our father. Um, that's a huge answer to it. And then the, in the natural, um, there's a really incredible book that I read a couple of years ago called Subverted. And it's by an author, um, Sue Ellen Browder, I think it's her name. 
and it's we'll put it in the description yeah it's super super good and it's called how i helped the sexual revolution hijacked the women's movement. Thanks for listening. The Elijah Fire podcast is made possible by donations like yours. To become a partner, visit ElijahFire.com slash donate. And so the women's movement was fighting for these good things. It was trying to help the housewife break out of this box and realize that she was more than just this cookie cutter housewife that needed to shop these certain brands and look like this person out of a magazine. Um, And the sexual revolution came in and was an opportunity for um, I think the enemy's opportunity for destroying culture, but then also uh, it was a corporate opportunity to make more money off people. Mm. Um, if people are having more unprotected sex outside of marriage, there's a need for pharmaceuticals like birth control, and there's a need for abortion, which makes money. And there's a need for those doctors, which makes more money for those doctors. Yeah. So it's kind of this whole chain reaction, but the book's incredible. And it kind of goes into much better detail than I am right now, but I think that is a, a very natural part of what went wrong. Um, and I think also women naturally, when you accept this victimhood status, going back to what we're talking about, mm-hmm. you want to look for the abuser. If you feel like you're a victim, well, who's the bad guy? Mm-hmm. The only person they have to look to is men. Mm-hmm. And I think it's so sad because I really think that um, valuing men is a huge part of the solution of what was going on. If men really feel like they're honored and valued for who God created them to be, I think that they're less likely to come and bring oppressive views and bring um, that forced submission that is not of God, that is not healthy. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so I think a huge thing is that as women, we have to honor men and call out their identity of who they are as sons mm-hmm. of God. Yeah, it's good. It's really good. And I think that, you know, going back to the whole identity thing, I think that you can sum up pretty much a lot of these hot button issues yeah. that are going on right now. It's about identity. And it's, yeah. I have nothing against like those 23 and me tests or whatever, like, you know, but even those, and then you have, you know, like personality tests popping up, you know, every couple of years where people get really into those and, Oh, now I know who I am. And then it's like a new one comes and like, Oh my goodness, now I know who I am. You know, it's like so I have a couple true. of friends that are, that are really into those and it's the same, you know, every single time, you know, but then again, it's like, you know, going, just speaking from uh, looking at, you know, being intimidated by, a, you know, a, an independent woman, a strong woman. Um, it's an, it's a lack of identity of who you are, who, you know, who you are, you know, yeah. and, um, and that's, that's the root of it. I think it's so important. It's really hard not to do this, but it is so important to not vilify other people again, like, well, I'm a victim. So like, for instance, I'll speak as a, as a man, you know, like I get sick and tired of seeing, you know, the the bossy female and the stupid idiot husband you know in commercials yeah. tv movies so do i <laughs> yeah well yeah um and i would imagine the you know yeah the opposite is is the same too of you seeing like you know obviously seeing a controlling husband or a husband who and, and not i mean now that wouldn't be common to see a you know a husband who's yeah. like who knows best and like they would get canceled for sure but yeah, um, yeah i just think it's so um, it's so important to know who you are and identity is so important, you know, and, um, Mm -hmm. you know, and it's very telling because it's at the center of all of this. It's at the center of all these these issues. Yeah. Um, yeah. And this is sort of off of the notes, what I was going to talk about, but kind of going off of this identity issue, that's really, um, 
I know many of you probably have heard about this idea that we have like a Marxist culture right now that's trying to be implemented. And the idea of Marxism and um, is is to destroy every structure that exists. And another way of viewing structure is identity. And so they want to destroy the identity of the family. They want to destroy the identity of men, of women, of mothers and fathers, um, of everything, of every structure that exists. They're trying to tear down those identities. And the reason is, that's like the number one way the enemy can come after you. If you don't know who you are, if you don't know your purpose, if you don't know what you're supposed to be doing, um, you're gonna feel you're gonna feel empty, and you're gonna be looking for something to fill that. Mm-hmm. And the world has plenty of options that they'll bring up and say, "Hey, this is what you need as a solution to the thing that we actually cause." Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And it, the the same thing that is the the cause can't be the solution. So. It just doesn't make sense, but I understand why people are are deceived by it because it's a good strategy. In your notes, you had you were talking about the importance of of absolute truth. Yeah, I think um, that's an, another example of what Marxism does is it takes away absolute truth. And mm-hmm. something we've heard talked about a lot, I would say, in the last five or ten years, is this idea of my truth and your truth, mm-hmm. and as if there can be multiple truths existing at the same time. Mm-hmm. And um, I know that's really just kind of a, people's way of saying your experience. Mm-hmm. But by saying that these two things are equivalent, that saying that experience and truth are the same, it's really confusing a lot of people because mm-hmm. um, okay. it, it's redefining a word that doesn't mean truth as truth. Um, and so something that I started really pursuing the last couple of years was this idea that there is absolute truth and absolute mm-hmm. truth, meaning there's something that's unchanging, that's unshakable. It's there, there is one storyline that is happening and all of us are sort of happening all around this storyline. Mm-hmm. Um, and our experiences matter because they create uh, our perception of the world, mm-hmm. our perception yeah. of God, they create a perception of ourselves. Um, they are the things that the reason we have trauma or not. And so I'm, I don't want to downplay experience and feeling, but there is um, an important thing that we have to come back to, like a North Star, which is absolute truth. Mm-hmm. So I started pursuing this idea just even I get I've gotten sort of into philosophy in the last couple of years, mm-hmm. which is an interesting, a whole interesting thing in mm-hmm. and of itself. Yeah. But um, but understanding that God is true. He is true. Mm-hmm. And, and Jesus defines himself as truth. He says that I am the way, the truth and the life. Um, and in Proverbs, it talks about how it's wisdom to search after truth. And how it's the glory of God to conceal something and the riches of kings to seek it out. So mm-hmm. this is an idea that God um, says is good, is to, to seek things out, to seek out truth. Yeah. And ultimately, when we seek out truth, we're going to find truth um, if, we're, if we're really searching for it with a pure heart. Mm-hmm. And truth is God. And we can find God through scripture. And we can find God through our relationship with the Holy Spirit, Him leading us and speaking to us. And so I think it's really important as believers, especially millennials, that we are reading scripture and that we're coming, you know, something that I recently started doing is when I'm reading my Bible coming and just starting with God, I humble myself before you take away my lens, take away my agenda Mm -hmm. and help me to just see what's here. See your truth. That's here. Cause there's something unchanging that's existed in scripture. His truth that's unchanged throughout all of history since, Mm -hmm. since it was written. And so we don't want to be so looking like I, I did with feminism, reading our um, worldview into scripture so much that we miss his incredible truth. Because, mm-hmm. um, again, it says that truth will set us free. And so we've got to have a way of just 
asking the Holy Spirit to come in and take away our blinders, take away our agenda and just reading it for what it is. That's so good. And I think that there's, yeah, there's so many times where I notice, and you know, uh, I, I recently just got back on Facebook because, uh, I think a lot <laughs> so of it, sorry, it's not a good place. <laughs> no, I think a lot of it's just because of this show and I have a lot of people, you know, asking to be my friend now. Yeah. And it's like, you know, I don't want to, it, like all my pictures were really outdated and you know, all that stuff. Um, but, um, I was, I saw a friend's bio, um, and last year really, really changed him. I mean, he's African-American, um, mm. and, you know, really got sucked into that whole movement last year. And he, I just saw him change. Like he used to be this really bright, cheerful guy. And now it's just like every, every post he does is like really angry. And even things he said about Jesus, you know, um, was just like, he's like, he was a, he was a revolutionary anti-establishment. And it, it was like, it's interesting because it's like, you can say that, but it's interesting to look at to a liberal, Jesus would look conservative and to a conservative, Jesus would look liberal. Mm -hmm. If we're going to use modern terms, you know, it's like, sometimes he would say stuff where you're like, well, that's a lot less intense than I thought. And then other times you're like, whoa, bro, you know, yeah. like, okay, yeah. <laughs> all right. Yeah. Um, and, uh, I think the issue too that I noticed, and we can even talk a little bit about this too, because I also, I mean, I flirted with progressive Christianity like a couple of years oh, ago. Too. I think Hardcore. it was probably seven, seven years ago now. Uh, really kind of like the lowest point of my Christian walk where the Lord was distant, felt distant, and I had to really seek him out. Um, but scripture says, and I might get this slightly wrong, but it's, you'll see, you know, you will find me when you seek me with all your heart, you yes. know, and yeah. it's so, it, it is so true. Um, but I just came to this point where I was working, um, you know, up in Portland, Oregon, and um, I was surrounded by people from the LGBTQ movement and, and um, you know, people talking about race all the time. And, and you really, it's really hard to not get sucked into it, especially yeah. I'm a very compassionate individual. Uh, I yeah. am very empathetic. And so as a result, you know, you're hearing these, the plight of, you know, all these different individuals, and then you start to really question, and then you start to see, you know, progressive garbage being spit out. I'm going to call it garbage, like yeah. being it's, it is a watered down gospel. And it's like, like, if you look at first John and you read what he says, there's some really extreme things in there where you're like, whoa, like, you know, if you have, you know. If you have bitterness told you, towards your brother, like you basically, you're not saved, you know? Yeah. And people look at there like, this is so, this is impossible. This is impossible, you know? And I had it explained to me by a mentor of mine quite a few years ago now, but I, it's an analogy that I, it's always stuck with me where it's like, it would be cruel. He likened first John, for example, to explain the rules of a game. It would be cruel to justice. You've never seen a football game before in your entire life. And they slap pads on you and they give you a ball and they go, go score points. You know what I mean? Like it, with, with no context of, of the game at all, it would be cruel. And so yeah. like first John is one of those, that I'm always like, this is the playbook, you know, and you, you use it as a measuring tool. Like that's the beauty of the gospels. Like this is called the process of sanctification. Like yeah. the goal is not to justify where we're at and who we are, like in, in terms of by the world standards, mm -hmm. um, to justify those things like you were talking about of looking yeah. through with an agenda. Yeah, it's so true. And I think that 
two things with this. One is I think this the progressive Christianity is really a case of hijacked compassion because mm. uh, it's mm. real compassion that people are having. Yeah. I, I was in the same place for years. Um, I was a Bernie Sanders fan. <laughs> and yeah. I, which, you know, that you can be a believer and be a fan of his, but I accepted a lot of other things coming along with him that uh-huh. are just not biblical um, standards. And it was because, because I was compassionate and I really thought that I was like doing the Lord's work mm-hmm. by talking about this stuff. And my, I'll have my memories come up on Facebook of posts that I made six, seven years ago. It was probably, yeah, about the same time as you. Yeah. And I'm just like cringing, like, Oh my God, I cannot believe. I that. Um, yeah. But my heart was in such a good place. And so again, when you're, if you keep your heart pure before the Lord, I think that the mm-hmm. Lord will like lead you through that, but it is hijacked compassion because yeah. you know, Obviously, we are supposed to care about race relations. Obviously, we are supposed to care about um, the poor, and we're supposed to care about um, people. I mean, I even understand how people misconstrue things into like we should have universal health care, like whatever. All of these different things. I, I understand mm-hmm. how people are getting to this place and somehow saying that Jesus said these things. Um, if you look at what Jesus actually constantly did is that he constantly gave people choices. And and throughout the Old Testament too, the Lord gave us choices. Even from the very beginning in the garden, we've always had a choice. And this idea of progressive Christianity is that we should impose moralistic standards um, in our culture through our government Mm -hmm. instead of giving people the choice. Yeah. Um, and, and so when people say, well, Jesus says that we we're supposed to feed the poor, I'm saying, yes, you go feed the poor. That does not mean that the government takes our money from us and then they feed the poor. That mm-hmm. means we feed the poor. We have that yeah. responsibility on us, not our government. We don't get yeah. to just throw it off. Um, same with, with every group that we're called to be there for that. That's, that's not Jesus saying that the government has a responsibility to that. That's him saying we have a responsibility to do that. Yeah, I think that's yeah. so good. And I think it goes back to like the fact that that God gave us free will. And I think that that's something that people have a really hard time with. I mean, even just now, like look around, people want to like legislate everything, yeah. you know, and it's like, once you open that can of worms, then it opens up even more stuff that people are like, oh, well, okay, yeah, well, if we, if we do this for these people, then these people need it as well. Okay, now these people, and these, you know, it's just it's this big thing. And I think it, a lot of it is, People want, again, people want other people to solve their problems. You know, if they're not in a good mm-hmm. place, they do want other people to solve their problems. So it's somebody yeah. else's fault. Oh, it's their fault. It's, you know, and so, yeah, people kind of campaign for, le- I call it legislating compassion. Well, mm-hmm. at that oh, that's point, a good way of saying it. Yeah. At that point, it, it, it isn't compassion anymore. If it's, if it is now a law, it, it's, it's kind of like if God, people ask like, well, why did God give us free? Why didn't God just like, make us, you know, like, you know, whatever. And I'm like, well, then we're robots. You know, it's yeah. like, if, if he creates something that just repeats, I love you, I love you, I love you all the time. Like, that's, that's a robot. Like, it's something that's yeah. pro- programmed. We're not AI. <laughs> yeah. We're made in his image. Yeah. And, and, and part of that is having freedom and freedom to choose. And so that's beautiful. But it's also a lot, uh, you know, a, a, a holy burden in many ways oh, of, sure. of choosing him. Yeah. Um, so something that that's really helped me on my journey out of progressive Christianity in the last couple of years is differentiating between salvation issues and as you called it, like sanctification issues or mm-hmm. things that are required versus things that are beneficial. Mm-hmm. And um, the, the only thing that is required, the only thing that is a salvation issue is us having faith 
that Jesus is the son of God, that he died for us mm-hmm. and that he's our righteousness and our faith in him is, is, is what um, gives us righteousness yeah. and it's nothing else. And, and mm-hmm. recognizing that he's not, I also have to specify this these days. He's not one way to God. He is not one of the many ways. He is the way, Yeah. the only way. And so that's another thing progressive Christianity has tried to do is say that Jesus is one of the ways you can choose. He, yeah. he is the way. Yeah. Um, and the other issue is if it's not a salvation issue, that means that the pressure is off. So I'm not judgmental about someone else who's not partaking in something that I see as a sanctification thing based off my reading of scripture. Um, but I'm pursuing that and I'm saying, Lord, how my response to my faith in Jesus makes me want to take action. It talks mm-hmm. about that in Acts, that it is it is because of our faith that we want to take action. Abraham became circumcised after he had faith in God as a mm. sign to God, as a physical sign to God, that he believed that God was who he said he was and that he was going to do what he said he was going to do. Yeah. And so that faith, that that gift that God has given us, we can freely receive it and do nothing. Mm. That's, I mean, that is a way mm. that you can live. Yeah. But, uh, but it also, it should bring us to something. It should bring us to action and make us want to do something. And so mm-hmm. when we're reading through scripture, um, that that helps me when I'm looking at things like when we're talking about the LGBTQ community, how can I how can I reconcile that I love my friends who are a part of this community and that um, I see God's love for them and his heart for them. And I see that many of them really love God. How can I reconcile this with the fact that I don't I don't believe this is OK and I don't I believe that this mm-hmm. is a sin. Mm-hmm. Um, and if I look at and I, I understand that that me having this position does not mean that I don't love someone Um, for, for any of these things. If someone has, um, you know, had an abortion or, or a a man has kind of pushed his partner to that point, how Mm. can I look at them and not be judgmental? Again, it's because, because of true compassion that I can look and say, God's heart towards them is love. God's heart towards them is redemption. God's heart towards Mm. them is not judgment. He wants, he wants to heal hearts. Um, he doesn't just want correct behavior, but he wants restored hearts. Mm-hmm. And and so that that's what I remember when I'm interacting with people who don't have the same convictions as me, whether it be as like something extreme or just something minor is like, mm-hmm. how is God looking at them? And also, how is he looking at me? Because I'm for sure not getting everything right. I'm for sure going to misinterpret some of scripture. I'm for sure going to to mm-hmm. miss the mark on some things. Yep. Um, but is if I'm looking at someone, and I see that their heart is pure before him and I see that they're 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 doing their best at surrendering, it helps me just break down that like judgment that can easily creep in. Oh, totally. And again, it's like we were talking about earlier is um, people are not the enemy. And I think that Mm -hmm. that's something that is so lost where it's like immediately people, you know, if somebody disagrees, they come out, go out with, you know, they give you both barrels and they're like, what, you know, you're, you're a moron, you're an imbecile, you know, like you're this and that. And it's just like, whoa, like slow your roll, bro. Like, (laughs) you know, like let's just chill for a second. I think when you do get that response of somebody who immediately acts out of the flesh and is just like, even other Christians get really, really especially (laughs) triggered by, you know, taking a firm stance on something. I'm like, guys, the, the goal of this is not just to be like, oh, that's nice. That makes me feel good. Like it very clearly states, be holy as the Lord, your God is holy. Like it's not like that, that. That's a painful process because we're having to die to the flesh. That's not, yeah. a, it, don't get me wrong. Like 
knowing God, the alternative is the worst. Like I've lived it, you know, it's not always this joyous thing. Sometimes it's like dealing with the flesh is, is a painful process. And I know that for me, when I got sucked into that whole progressive thing, or at least I felt the, the pull into it. I didn't say full on went into it, you know, but yeah. Help Elijah Fire continue to make an impact around the world. All donations go toward making Elijah Fire and the Elijah Fire podcast possible. Visit ElijahFire.com slash donate and become a partner today. One thing I noticed is, is it is that compassion. But I, one thing I've noticed with, you know, you know, the Marxist ideology, the socialist ideology, it's, it's compassion gone mad, you know, yeah. where it's just like, we want to take care of everybody. We need to take care of everybody. And it's like, if you don't, then you're, you're the worst and you need to. And I just think that it's so important to people are not the enemy. Like we need to see each other and as, as precious, yeah. valuable human beings. And that's one of the things that yesterday's show on Saturday was uh, Jennifer Martin. And she was talking about that whole thing of like, she was talking about the whole subject of deliverance, but she was saying it is important before anything else to have love and compassion towards mm-hmm. people. That's like, that's, that's the key. And I yeah. think, you know, even the interpretation of, oh, well, what love means people who are progressive Christians or people on the left may go, well, I am being loving. I am, but it's a different <laughs> definition of that. When, and that's where it yeah. gets really complicated. Yeah, it's so true. And it's that verse that says we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against mm-hmm. powers and principalities. And that's really freeing in, in two ways, because one is you don't have to look at people as the enemy anymore. Yep. You don't have to feel this responsibility mm-hmm. to like, confront them uh like you would a demonic spirit which we see a lot of christians confronting people as if they are a demon themselves um (laughs) and the other thing is that it brings a lot of freedom inside of yourself too because you're not the enemy you're not your enemy when you're struggling you're not at war with yourself you've when you've given your life to the lord when you've given your life to jesus like that's your old man that's not you anymore that's not your identity anymore and so you're not at war with yourself and when um, anxious thoughts come when weird, like, I, I know a lot of people struggle with intrusive thoughts or anxiety or depression, mm-hmm. all these things. You actually, this is part of why you have victory over it is because it's not you. And so I've struggled with anxiety over the years. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I've had freedom knowing this is not a defining thing of me because Dude, this is, this it. is, yeah, this is not something that is, um, a fruit of the spirit and therefore it's not a part of my new man and therefore it's not me. And so even though I'm struggling with it, it's not my identity. Yeah. That's Um, huge. And I mean, identity thing. (laughs) yeah, but like, uh, back in 2019, I got put, (laughs) I had an anxiety attack that put me in the hospital because I thought I was having a heart attack. (laughs) And I've almost uh, been there before. (laughs) Yeah. And it was like, I didn't know, I I didn't know what happened. The the guy engineering this, he had to take me to the hospital because I was like, um, I think I've got a migraine, but I also think I might be having a heart attack. We need to go like, and I'm just like trying not to oh freak God. out inside. And they were like, no, nah, man, you like, they, you know, they did chest x-rays, everything. They're like, you're good. And, um, you know, I get migraines intermittently. Um, and you have these things called postrums or AKA a migraine hangover. So like the next day or a couple of days, it could be, you just really sluggish and you feel like, mm-hmm. you know, no energy and you just, um, and it just, it wouldn't go away. Like for a couple of weeks, I was just like, mm-hmm. uh, this, this is, and then it just, I was just like, Lord, what's going on? And he was like, anxiety, bro. <laughs> <laughs> and, um, and that really began a process of that, you know, but the entire time I went through this, it was exactly what you said. I'm like, this doesn't define, this doesn't define me, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that's so important. Um, 
especially for those of you who, you know, do, do struggle with anxiety. Like yeah. that's not a part of who you are. Um, yeah. anxiety is fear. Like it is. Mm -hmm. And the Bible says yeah. perfect love casts out all fear. This final thing I wanted to talk about is you talk about, uh, it's a forgotten mission of the church. What is that? Um, the, the pro-life cause. And I think specifically of the Protestant church, um, I have been working with live action, um, which is, a one of the largest pro-life organizations in the country. And their leader is, uh, this woman named Lila Rose, and she's been one of my inspirations for years and she's Catholic. And most of the people who are part of the organization are Catholic. And wow. there's a few who are believers as well, but the Catholic Church is actually the largest organization in the world to take a stance on abortion um, and to take a pro-life stance on abortion wow. at that. And they have really done an incredible job of creating charities and organizations that help um, women who are facing crisis pregnancies and really being the hands and feet of Jesus to um, men and women who are facing crisis pregnancy or um, maybe they have a pregnancy that they want to keep, but they don't have enough money to feed the rest of their kids. Mm -hmm. um, so there are organizations, whether they're just Catholic or if they're run by nuns, or um, there's like the Sisters of Life and um, several different other organizations that are incredible and doing wonderful work. And so I started being there as a non-Catholic sitting in these meetings going, why hasn't the, the non-denominational church or the Protestant church as a whole taken a stance on this? Why haven't we said, yeah, we're pro-life. Why, why haven't we taken a stance? Mm -hmm. um, and I think part of the problem is that we're kind of all, all over the place on like the Catholic church. They do have like some uniting doctrines that they all have. Yeah. There's um, just Catholics. It's not like crazy. They actually all have things. some like sort of, I guess they call them like sects, but they're, they're kind of like denominations because they have like oh, really? the, the Roman rite and they have the Dominican rite. I don't know. I've just been learning this because I have all these Catholic friends now. Uh -huh. And I'm like, I never knew any of these things. I didn't, um, I <laughs> it's very interesting, but they do an incredible job because it's not just um, this understanding that murder is wrong that <laughs> should lead us to the conclusion of being pro-life, but it's mm -hmm. also, um, they have this incredible doctrine called theology of the body. A lot of it's very interesting. Um, and it was by one of the Pope, Pope John Paul something, who who gave this teaching about the, the purpose that God created our bodies for. And it's part of what's influenced the Catholic Church to be not just pro-life when it comes to abortion, but um, they're very pro-life about the dignity of human existence, that every mm. single human being has an innate dignity because of us being made in the image of God mm -hmm. and that God did not accidentally give us physical bodies. Um, and if you're Catholic listening to this, I'm probably butchering this <laughs> theology. Forgive her. Yes, forgive, forgive me. me for saying there's no, you know, there's just Catholics. <laughs> <laughs> it's okay. I didn't really know until like literally a few months ago, yeah. but there it's, it's a really cool, if you're into like learning about other things outside of like our typical wheelhouses, non-denominational spirit-filled Christians, it's a really interesting teaching, theology of the body. Yeah, but, um, yeah, but basically each of us has, has a dignity and has um, a part of the image of God in us and, and our bodies were created on purpose and for a purpose. And mm -hmm. so for us to just act like the physical is irrelevant is kind of, um, acting like we know better than God, because then why did he give us a physical world? Mm -hmm. um, yeah. And so I just, I've been really in, inspired to keep speaking out about this whenever I'm talking to non-Catholic people and organizations that 
we need to take a stance and be pro-life. And, you know, you can be pro-life and not be doing anything about it. Um, like it's okay to be just against something that's wrong without actually taking action. But mm-hmm. we also as believers should be taking action to help yeah. women and children who are facing a situation like this, um, especially women who are facing crisis pregnancies. And so there's tons of organizations. Um, there's one called Let Them Live organization that they post stories of women. Um, they'll, they'll give them like an, a, a fake name and say, you know, Leah has an abortion scheduled for Friday and she needs X amount of money and for diapers and for this and this, or else she has to get an abortion. She doesn't have another option. And so wow. can we help cover um, these co- these the mm. cost of, you know, whatever it is that Leah needs. And yeah. so it's amazing because they're giving you real stories and you, you get to see how you're, you're actually helping set someone free to be able to keep their baby. Um, and that's so cool. And, and let so, them yeah, live. I, let them, yeah, live, let them live organization. Yeah. So that's, that's something that I think that, um, as non-Catholics, I don't like to say Protestants because I feel like it, that kind of has a certain connotation as well. But as non-Catholic believers, we, we really need to take a stance and, and say that we're going to fight for the lives of the unborn. And not just that, but we're going to stand for human dignity and say that mm-hmm. um, every single life is precious, whether mm-hmm. someone is elderly or pre-born, that their life is important and valuable, that they're um, a unique person that God created who will never exist again and who has never existed before. And that's mm-hmm. that's something worth protecting. Yeah. So yeah, I really, I really want to see us be stronger with that. Yeah. Yeah. So obviously people can go to let them live organization. That's a great yeah. way. And you also, you, you work with, um, live, li- action. Li- live action. Yeah. Yeah. So is that something that's by invite only, or, or can people get involved with that as well? No, I think they have opportunities for volunteer stuff. I just do social media things for them. Kind of like, um, doing influencer kind of stuff, I mm-hmm. guess. Um, and their, but their organization, they post a ton of like things. If you've heard of Project Veritas, they sort of do Project Veritas style of um, things exposing Planned Parenthood and other um, abortion organizations. So they recently uh, uncovered a whole thing that was going on with the University of Southern California, um, where they were live harvesting organs of unborn children while they're still alive, which just the whole thing is is a mess, but they were part of uncovering that. And so um, they're really doing amazing work at educating people on what really happens when abortion is happening, um, educating people on fetal development, because that's a huge reason people are pro-choice is because they don't, they don't understand that a baby is existing from the beginning because um, they've been told it's just a blob of tissue. Yeah. So they've got really incredible, they've actually just released a video called Olivia that shows the the development, animated development of a baby from day one, from conception all the way until birth. And it is, I cried while I was watching it because it's so beautiful. And it's the first Olivia from live action. Yeah. Yeah. And so it shows, um, it's the first medically correct fetal development video that's ever been made. So they, they had that done by an incredible team of animators and so they're doing a lot of really incredible work. They're a great organization to financially support, but also if you want to volunteer, I think they do have opportunities for that. Yeah. Yeah. Cause I know, I mean, when you said, you know, I believe that, you know, us as spirit filled, you know, Christians, we should be getting involved too. It's one thing to stand for. And I was like, conviction. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I know I had the same thing happen. You know, I've been yeah. speaking out about it a little bit the last couple of years because this mm-hmm. is really connected to the feminist issue that I've been passionate about. Um, Cause I think abortion is really just the, 
the crown jewel on women's oppression, to be honest with you, because it takes all responsibility for what's happened in creating a life and puts it all on women when it is not just a woman that creates a baby. Right. And so it's, um, it, it's bothered me from the, the standpoint of like how it affects women, which I think is a huge part of it. Um, that's really valid. And then over the summer, I was invited to be a part of activist training for live action. And that's when I felt very convicted. And I was like, my goodness, I, we need to do more. We need to do yeah. better as as the church because the Catholic Church is putting us to shame right now. Yeah, this. I think that st- statement "we need to do better as the church" is is one that um, kind of is like a one size fits all statement. Yeah. Of, but here's the thing, you know, it's like it's it is easy to sit there and be like, "Oh, the church isn't doing this; they're not doing that," and Christianity failed in this. I'm like, but there is so much good that has been done, you know. I think even just recently I saw a stat and you might know more and this stat might not be true anymore. But the last I saw that, cause I was talking to my um, brother-in-law's wife and she's not a Christian and she was talking about abortion. She was talking about, well, you know, Christians talk about being, uh, you know, against abortion, but they don't want to uh, adopt anyone. Well, first off the adoption process is very complicated, but also I read that, Christians are one of the largest groups that actually adopt children. So yes, kudos Christians. (laughs) Yes. And there's actually more to to that statistic. That's even more interesting to me, which is that there's actually a waiting line, a significant waiting line for people adopting infants in the United States. So if you want to adopt a baby, which is what would happen if you're going to have an abortion and you change your mind and decide to place it up for adoption, Mm -hmm. that's an infancy adoption. It's completely different than what most people are talking about, which is, um, the, I don't know why I can't think of the word right now, but where children are living in your home, foster care, goodness. Yeah. Then the foster care we system. Got there. We got there. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, so the foster care system, there are, uh, I, oh, I'm going to get the number wrong, but it's in the hundreds of thousands of children who are in the foster care system. And I believe about 160,000 of them are available for adoption. And that is a completely different system. It has nothing to do with if someone has an abortion or not. Um, and so when people talk and they try to act like these two t- statistics are somehow connected, they're not. So I also am a big advocate of Christians fostering and Christians adopting out of the foster care system, mm-hmm. not just internationally, because mm-hmm. we also need to, to, to lower those numbers. Mm-hmm. I think they said if one family from every church in the United States uh, fostered or adopted a child out of the foster care system, we would empty the system. Wow. And there would be no children who are stuck living in group homes or homes of people who are not believers. Mm. So again, that's something else that, yeah, it's true. And that's separate. I, I like to differentiate this because people like your sister-in-law was saying, like to say that you aren't really pro-life if you're not also doing X, Y, and Z. But that's not true. You can be against abortion just because mm. abortion is evil and not be also fostering or adopting. You should also be doing those things that that's awesome to do that if you're able to, um, just as believers, like that's one of the specific things that we're called to do is to help with orphans. Um, but that doesn't mean that you're not pro-life. And so right. when people, if people try to pen out on you, just give them that yeah. response. Yeah, no I'm guilt still trips. pro-life. Yeah. yeah. And I actually just saw, I was looking it up. Um, I was looking up something, uh, I saw it on Instagram yesterday and it was, um, they that I think I think it's in November the Supreme Court's going to hear a case against Roe v. Wade, um, and that doesn't you know that we can pray into that. Obviously, it, yeah. it's just exciting to me knowing that this is something that and you know especially some of the laws that have just gotten passed in uh, mm-hmm. uh, Texas 
Um, you know, and uh, it's just the we're starting to see the snowball, the snowball effect. Yeah. Um, and it's really, really, really exciting. Um, so yeah. and with involved, that, everybody. Yeah. With that case, sorry, I just want to clarify yeah, this because a lot did. of people don't understand this, but if Roe v. Wade is overturned, that doesn't make all abortion illegal. That means it goes to the states. Mm. So your individual state will have the choice to decide if they're going to legalize abortion and at what point it'll become illegal or not. So when people are acting like this is like going to be some huge, crazy, awful, like mm -hmm. backwards move for the country, people who are pro-choice are saying this, um, mm -hmm. it really wouldn't change that much. Uh, there would be some states that would have more strict things. So for example, Texas would have, Texas and Mississippi, I think are two states that have bills in place that if that is overturned, they will immediately default to no abortion. Mm -hmm. um, but then you have states like New York and Colorado who, and California, they're not going to they're not going to vote for that. Oregon as well. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I'm sure I'm probably Washington. Yeah. But I know that California and New York and Colorado specifically are known as late term abortion hotspots. Mm. Um, and the other thing is that even with heartbeat bills, you know, this is kind of an unpopular opinion, even amongst pro-life people. So I'm probably going to ruffle a lot of feathers with this. But the heartbeat yeah. bill is a step in the right direction, but it still allows for abortion. There's still abortion before heartbeat. And so many Christians I've heard, I've argued with some family members and friends about this, but um, they'll tell me, well, you're not alive until your heart is beating, which is not true. Actually, at conception is when your, your genetic code is created. And so at conception is when your, your DNA is created that's never existed before. It's not the same as your mom's DNA. It's not the same as your dad's DNA. It determines your height, your eye color, your gender, mm. your proclivity to sports if you're going to be a nerd or not, like all of these different things are Guilty. determined at that moment. <laughs> yes, yeah, same. And so all of those things are determined at that moment. And that's really the only consistent line we can draw scientifically um, as well as spiritually as, as far as where life begins. And so um, it is a step in the right direction. I celebrate that the heartbeat bill was passed in mm -hmm. Texas and I was really happy about it, but it's still, um, there's still going to be, babies who are aborted in texas and yeah, even in states still, that have sounds like there's still a lot of work that needs to be done yes and i just I, I don't mean to say that as a debbie downer i just i i don't i've seen a lot of christians posting like wow this is this is like so crazy awesome no no more abortion and i'm going no 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 <laughs> you're you're alive whether your heart is beating or not that that's mm -hmm. not a signal of life you know even for some surgeries they stop your heart that doesn't mean that you're not alive anymore yeah that's a great, um, great point yeah and so that's why even just from a scientific perspective, and I'll be posting more about this on my personal social media if you guys follow me, but talking about how we can arrive at that conclusion that conception is where life begins um, from a non-religious perspective. Because I think that's important too, is we want to have we want to have logic to what we believe as Christians. And if God is truth and if he created everything through truth, then reality is going to line up with that. Science is going to line up with with the truth of God. Mm. Um, and so we don't need to be scared of of having a non-religious um, understanding or explanation for why we believe something. Yeah. Yeah. So good. I honestly, there's a lot more I want to ask, <laughs> but we're out of time, unfortunately. Um, Justice, thank you so much. This was, this was great. Thank you guys so much for having me. This was really, really fun. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. So you mentioned your Instagram, your personal Instagram account, uh, where you, people can follow you there. Uh, yeah. where are some other places they can follow you? Um, Instagram and YouTube are really the only places that I do much these days. So on Instagram, it's at Justice Hope and Low still. Um, if you search Justice Keel, it'll come up. But yeah, Justice Hope and Low. And then on YouTube, it's Justice Hope Keel. 
awesome. which is K-U-E-H-L. It doesn't sound like how it's spelled at all. Yeah, yeah. So, all right, everybody, that's our show for today. All right, God bless you guys. We'll see you again next week. Bye-bye. This has been Elijah Fire. Thanks for listening. For more episodes like this, you can check out the Elijah Fire podcast on ElijahFire.com, on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. You can watch us live every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday at 2 p.m. Pacific time on YouTube, Twitch, and Facebook. Elijah Fire is presented by Elijah Streams and is part of Elijah List Ministries. Click the link in the description for more info on how you can donate today.